is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. The pandemic, there's a lot of bad things about the pandemic for sure, but one of the things for me was just not getting the chance on a consistent enough basis to talk to Leah Hextall. It's been over a calendar year. It's been way too long, but finally we get her back on Game Misconduct. It's so glad so glad to have you back. Uh, the, the listeners love having you back, so hopefully everything is well with you. It is, Don, and it's such a pleasure to be back and hear your voice, and it almost makes it feel like maybe we're getting to a sense of normalcy that we're back in action here. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> there's still um, a lot of time <laughs> left, but it's been a crazy 14 months, and there's a lot going on with you, too, so... Uh, you know, we'll just keep an eye on what's happening with your career. I know a lot of people are very happy for you, and uh, we will have more to talk and discuss about that, uh, hopefully, in the very near future. But uh, there is so much going on right now in, in the world of the NHL, and I, and I just had to talk to you. And it's the perfect timing, too, because we're finally seeing the North back with uh, the playoff series between Winnipeg and Edmonton underway, and now last night with Toronto and Montreal, and it was just so weird. I don't know how it felt for you. I actually enjoyed the afternoon games, but to see to see the Flames and Canucks playing these games up against playoff games was just very surreal. I'm sure it was for you, too. I think it was just ridiculous, honestly, Don. I mean, you know, and then you see the fact that Dylan Dubé gets injured and he was planning to go to the Worlds and play for Canada in a nothing game. I don't know why they just didn't do the math, you know, and figure out, okay, you guys get this much for point percentage. You guys get this much depending on what your season has already proven. But I'm not the NHL. They wanted to finish it off in its entirety. But I don't know. Those games are really weird, and I can't imagine having to do the players playing them when the playoffs are going on. But hopefully this is only this is the first and the last time that ever occurs. Yes, definitely. And we, let's start with something that's obviously very close where you are up north, and, and that, of course, is uh, Toronto-Montreal. First time since 1979 and of course the big story what happened uh, to John Tavares just an unfortunate situation but boy Leah that was very scary anytime you see the stretcher come out that was just very very scary what happened early in that game Don I don't know about you but that really shook me and I've seen a lot of hockey I've seen some pretty bad injuries but I'm not sure if you guys had the hockey night in Canada feed down there on NBC but the fact of the matter was is you know, when the trainer for um, Toronto came out and they were kind of just turning him over and there was that one shot where you could see John's face and his eyes were rolled back and I felt like I, I, I really, my stomach just dropped. It was extremely scary. On top of that, it was so quiet because there are no fans, but really even if there were fans in the stands, you still would have been able to hear a pin drop. You could just see the fact that the least medical staff the Habs medical staff came out, the players on the benches, just their deep concern. It just, it really hit a note with me. And then the interaction after it just made it even worse in my mind. Yeah, I don't know. And we see this in football a lot, Leah, where somebody has these catastrophic injuries and the players are all in one knee and they're they're praying and they're they're concerned for their... Uh, fallen teammate and then obviously the the Canadians affected as well and I always wonder how do you then get back to work or I mean this is still a very meaningful game obviously it's game one of the playoffs but I, I can't imagine either team could, could have felt 100% mentally back to playing after something like that happened. 
absolutely agree with you, Don. I really, you know, that just shows. And I think that speaks to the fact, especially for Toronto, having, you know, those veteran players like the Jason Spetsas and the Joe Thorntons on their team and Wayne Simmons. And Wayne Simmons addressed that in between periods. And he just stated, you know, we had some words in the room. The important thing now is to win this one for Johnny, as Wayne Simmons stated. But it must be very hard mentally to get back in the game. It's not only the injury to Don, but this is your captain. That's an added layer. And then an even more so added layer is the fact that this is a player you can't replace. I mean, this is a player that does so much for your team on the ice, and you need him in the playoffs. So just the mental games that that would have played with the Leafs, it's it's not surprising that they didn't win that hockey game because it would have been very difficult for them to, but also give credit to Montreal to get past it and to continue on. And there are many people wondering on social media uh, about Felino going after Perry and fighting. We've seen fights over things that where, hey, it's a legal hit, but still somebody goes down, somebody gets hurt, and you feel like you have to kind of avenge your fallen player. How did you feel about how Felino reacted when clearly Perry did what he did on accident? You know, it was interesting to me because I had an opinion last night and then I have an opinion today. And, okay. you know, when I saw it immediately, I thought to myself, why are we doing this? You know, I didn't need to see perhaps another player get hurt in a fight after what we just saw with John Tavares. And because it was accidental, because Corey Perry, you knew it was. For those who may not know, Perry and Tavares have a very long relationship. They played on the 2014 Canada Olympic team together. They won gold. They are both former London Knights from their junior days. And, you know, they are friends. And there was no part of me that thought John Tavares would want Nick Foligno to do this after what happened to him. So why are we doing this? And we speak of the code in hockey, but this was so different. And I thought this isn't good for the game. And nor did I want to see kind of more violence after a very violent looking incident. But, and, and let's be clear here. I'm a big believer in the players patrolling themselves. You know, I'm not a fan of the instigator penalty because I think a lot of things get uh, taken away with and liberties are taken within the game now because the players can't patrol themselves. But I didn't like it. And, you know, Corey Perry obliged. And he didn't fight, though. If anyone knows Corey Perry, go back and look at tape of him fighting. He's got a nasty streak in him. He just stood in there. He let Felino do what he was going to do, and it was done. But then after hearing Nick Felino say, my captain was laying on the ice, going back and looking at the response from his bench, you know, was this something that Nick Felino did so that it's done, it's over with, we move on from it, and for the next two days, because we now know Tavares is out indefinitely, you know, the next two days, is the team going to stew about this? Is this going to become a distraction? Are people going to start to chase Corey Perry around the ice in the game two when we really need to be focused because we're going to be without Tavares going forward? So there is, you know, I look at it both ways. and But at the end of the day, I just don't think it's something we needed because I think it sends the wrong tone when something is so accidental. So it's a tough one, but I I didn't like seeing it in the moment. I'm wondering how you felt about it. Well, I'm with you uh, almost in lockstep how I felt immediately. Like, like, listen, everybody saw that it was a complete accident. Look how devastating it is. I mean, no message needs to be sent. This isn't trying to get a, a pound of flesh. Um, but you do see it in baseball where even though somebody might have been hit accidentally, the feeling is, all right, well, listen, you still mm-hmm. have to be held responsible for what you did. Um, and so there's that level of that, and maybe there's a sense of closure. 
And maybe also I thought about this, Leah, is that you know we can all understand. We've seen a million replays. We've seen and analyze and dissect. We can sit in our couches watching the game and kind of just honestly and um, calmly assess the situation. But when you're talking about combatants on the ice that maybe don't get to see all the angles and know exactly how it went down, they just look at the A to B, right? Our, our, our leader is down. This individual did it. I've got to go now and respond and 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 stand up for my captain. So that obviously isn't a rational response, but you can understand that because of what's going on. So I think we can look at it. And we have the luxury of looking at it logically and calmly and rationally. I'm not sure athletes get that uh, ability to do that. So um, I think it's completely forgivable. I understand both sides as well. And I guess it's just something that uh, that happens in this sport. And I guess deep down inside his teammates uh, probably appreciate what Felino did. I think Montreal understood it, as you said, with Perry, who can fight. You know, just understanding, is that really what I want to do here? Do I want to win this fight? Do I want to pummel Felino and have his actions just add to everything? So um, at the end of the day, I think he probably did what was right for his team, even though there's a lot of people on the outside who maybe don't completely understand it. I would agree with you. So, but but and and it, it's Montreal again, right? I mean, I don't think this team is very good. Yep. <laughs> but you know, you they 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 did it in the bubble last year against Pittsburgh. You know, they've got a history of doing this in the first round. Now, this is series is far from over. But why am I not shocked Montreal won this game? I'm shocked that Paul Byron had this like spectacular, unbelievable shorthanded goal to win it. But are you like me that I'm I'm not really that shocked that Montreal is not going to go quietly into that good night? Well, I'm going to disagree with you that this Montreal team isn't very good. I mean, this Montreal team, I actually think, is quite good, except it has been had so much injuries. I mean, Thomas Tatar, Gallagher, and Philip Deneau, they're their top line, and they've barely played together for, like, the last month and a half when Montreal has had so many struggles. And Price was also injured. You know, they are back to their complement of players. And I actually think if you go back to the beginning of the season where Montreal was when they were just on that incredible heater, that's who more Montreal is. And then they ran into some issues, they made some coaching changes, and now they've kind of found themselves back healthy or as healthy as you possibly can be entering the playoffs. I, you know, and I also think that there's this narrative about the North that the North isn't very good. All they do is score up there and no one plays defense. Well, don't forget, you know, you have the Rocket Richard Trophy winner in Austin Matthews sitting up here, and you also have the Art Ross winner for the most points in the league in Connor McDavid. There may be a reason, and Leon Dreisaitl, the reigning Hart Trophy. There may be a reason that there's a lot of offense up here, and the North is a little bit better than people yeah. think. But I think that Montreal is definitely able to hold it against Toronto. The thing about Toronto is this is Toronto, in my opinion, is the most skilled team coming out of the North Division by far. Jack Campbell has played very well for them um, and really come out and, you know, become their starter. Their power play, though, as you look at it and you think, why isn't their power play working? Look at all the talent they have. It was operating at over 30%. That's not sustainable. But now it's down to, like, 7%. What's going on there? Um, I think that Toronto has tons of talent. I just, for some reason, when they get to the playoffs, I just don't think they're ready yet. Uh, which is strange because they have all that talent. But, you know, Don, sometimes you have to go through playoff series and lose before you can win. And I know that sounds counterintuitive probably to a lot of people, but whereas this Montreal team, they have so much calm, they have a lot of veteran presence and people who have played in a lot of playoff series, and you have Carey Price. And I thought he was fantastic last night. He looked like Carey Price. Like, you look at those last couple minutes where they had the two-man advantage. Carey Price is so calm in his crease. Like, even in the chaos, 
he's just calm. And the confidence that that provides for the players in front of him, you just can never count Montreal out to your point. They did it to Pittsburgh last year. But I actually think this is a much better Montreal team than it no, was last year. No, that, that's certainly a good point. But when you look at, you know, uh, the, Julian gets fired and you know I watch a lot of them because I think you know my my wife's wife is a Canadians fan and and certainly they were good enough to make the playoffs and I'm with you I I think this whole idea that the North is weak and that's why McDavid and Matthews had the seasons that they had I mean give me a break every division had weakness right I mean look at the 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 East you got to beat up on the Devils and the Sabres right you you look at the Central you got to beat up on you know Detroit and Ottawa it took a while and then Ottawa not Ottawa excuse me um Ottawa obviously figured it out, but that's obviously in the North Division. But you know what I mean? It, like whether you're having to deal with Detroit that was in a rebuild, um, Anaheim in a rebuild out West. So there's plenty of divisions in which there were teams that you can beat up on. And that North had Ottawa early, but then Ottawa, I, I, maybe if they played another 26 games, Leah, they might have been able to find their way in the playoffs. I mean, that's how good that team ended you're up being not wrong. in the second half of the season. So I look top to bottom. Vancouver was, you know, obviously COVID destroyed them, but they were they were a team that kind of figured it out as time went on to the point where, where, where Travis Green just got a contract extension today. You know, so I'm with you. I, I think this this North is, is a legit division. I just didn't know if Montreal was on Toronto's level, but clearly you're right. The way that they played, how well-rounded they are, and I still think they're well-coached, um, that this is a team that can be pesky. I don't think they can make a run, per se, but I think they can be uh, pesky uh, to Toronto. Now, the other thing that and certainly a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to have opinions on is the Pittsburgh uh, Islander series, which has been fantastic. It really has. And Pittsburgh's got the 2-1 Absolutely. series lead after a couple of back-to-back wins. And I know Varlamov's his number one goaltender, and he's not wrong for putting Varlamov back in, but he gave up a, a the, the rusty goal, both by rust and also kind of rusty because he hadn't played a while in game two. And then, of course, giving up the first goal that wasn't that great in game three. And with the Islanders being a team that really needs to play with a lead, uh, they've only lost two games in regulation during the year in which they scored first. I think they were 24-2-2 combined with the playoffs when they score first. I know it's hindsight's twenty twenty, but should he have stuck with Sorokin until he lost? You know, it's so early in the playoffs. You know, I'm a big believer that you always ride the hot hand, but just because it's so early right now in the series, um, I'm not going to go against Barry Trotz. I mean, Barry Trotz has forgotten more about hockey than I sure. know. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that. It's, it's a hard one, Don, and it's a, it's a good question, but the last thing you want to do is not have someone established. And, and if this has been your established person, you do need to ride them until it becomes a problem. And I look at last night's game, and I mean, not to be you know rude to other, either goaltender, but you know, it was a 5-4 decision. I mean, that could have gone either way, and it wasn't exactly a defensive display. I mean, both goaltenders at both ends let in some questionable goals, but how entertaining this was. I mean, I just can't – I just keep seeing that picture of, like, you know, Crosby, Latang, and, you know, all the top players with pens in the penalty box, and then the same thing in the Islanders' box, and when the Islanders scored the celebration in there, it just makes me giggle. Um, but I don't think it was a mistake. Um but, you know, the only reason we're talking about that now is because they lost. They lost by one goal. If it was a blowout, then I'd be like, okay, maybe they shouldn't have gone away from Ilya. But I don't know. I have a lot of faith in Varlamov, but that's just my opinion. I, I don't think it was a mistake, it, you know, because of what we saw 
um, within the game. But, you know, you guys have a better handle on well, seeing a more breadth of work than I have this hey, listen, season. But I, I didn't think a mistake. Listen, Varlamov's the number one. He had seven shutouts during the course yeah. of the year. Nobody is ever going to question him being the number one. I just feel when these coaches get so anal about not changing the lineup after a playoff win and Sorokin played so well in a game that you won, I just didn't think it would be that awful to say, all right, we're going to go back with him until he loses a game. And, and he's not going to go undefeated, obviously. And if he does, great, then, then you don't have any issues. But Varlamov was going to get a shot. It, it just coupled that with when, when you see a team be that good when scoring first and you see that they usually struggle to score goals, this series notwithstanding, but still, they're not equipped to fall behind to be able to play their game, right? And they're not a team. You saw in game two, they gave up 45 shots. That's not the Islanders. But the reason they gave up 45 shots, they're chasing two goals early. So now they can't play mm-hmm. their system. They just seem like a team that really needs to get the lead to play the way they want to play. When they start having to chase after goals, that's when you see what you saw last night. And I'm going to bet on Pittsburgh every night against the Islanders if we're chasing goals because they're more equipped yeah, to score than the Islanders me. are. Yeah. So. So that so that that's the conversation, and you know what, I, Ranger fans, Islander so fans, I'm sure everybody. To you, Don, sorry, yeah, I need to address. So my question to you though is, so if if they would have st- stuck with Sorokin and like gone with Ilya again, if he doesn't win that game, then are you know then it becomes this. You know, I don't want to use the word gold to controversy, but it's almost like you also have to worry about the mental aspect of your goaltenders, right? You know, if you have an established number one going to the playoffs, that's your guy. And I just wonder if they would have went to Ilya, they lose that game, then what happens? Are they are they going to stick with Ilya again? No, they're probably going to go back to Varlamov, and maybe now he's in his head just like, well, what's going on here? Am I the guy or am I not the guy? Because as we know, goaltenders' confidence is, you know, in every player it's everything, but in the goaltending position more so than ever. Yeah. So, I mean, not saying that he's not mentally strong enough to deal with that, but the last thing that a coach wants to start doing is that seesaw in the playoffs. You know, I don't think it's ever worked. So I wonder if that's just Trot trying to establish he is our number one. And, I mean, the, the second game that he won was like another one-goal decision. Played excellent, but still another one-goal decision, right? So it's just such a close series that it's, it's kind of a crapshoot almost about who's in the net. But I appreciate what you're saying about needing to play with the lead for the Islanders and, you know, that being an issue. So needing that strong goaltending early on so that they can get that goal. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a nitpick. And as you said, you know, Barry Trotz has won a cup and, and he knows what he's doing. And But it's... But but we we still should be able to talk about it. They all know more than what we when that we do, and so we'd have to be able to have a conversation about it for sure. And Sidney Crosby, I know he's hated by a lot of people outside of Pittsburgh, but God, last night what was it? He gets taken out of the play by Lee behind the net, then comes all the way back and he blocks the shot for Nelson, which I think would have went yeah. in. I think that would have been a goal. And and you don't see a lot of superstars do that, right? That to go back and and to back check and and to. To do the job, it's not just about scoring for Sidney at, at this stage of his career, just how well-rounded he is. He could score a goal like he did in Game 1 with that deflection, which I thought was amazing, reaching out, finding the puck and deflecting it, and then do something defensively like that last night. You know, I know it's going to sound crazy, everybody, but I always feel like Sidney Crosby, even though he is one of the faces of the league and had been the face of the league for so long, I still don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for how good he is. 
if you've been watching him since day one, if you've seen the way he developed his game, the way he went after his face-offs when he wasn't good and made sure that he came back and was the best in the circle, when you see, like to your point, Don, the two-way play from a superstar like that, just his sense of the game, his leadership, you know, just watching him after the game, the way he greets every single player. I, there's no player that impresses me more. And it also extends outside of the hockey world, you know, when he deals with us as media. You know, he's always fantastic to deal with. He does it all, which, you know, a lot of people get temperamental about after so many years in the league. And he just continues to, you know, I know McDavid is the clear standard of the best in the league right now, but I still, you know, if I'm betting on someone, I'm still betting on Crosby to get it done. Yeah, he's been uh, tremendous this year, too, and that's why I've got Mike Sullivan as Coach of the Year as well. All the injuries that they've had and yet still end up winning the division and now up 2-1 in their series against the and Islanders. And Carter. Like, let's not forget about oh. the addition of Carter. Like, this is something that I think is massive. And, you know, and I am not saying this because of a certain general manager that works right. there, but I, that pickup was so important for them because they've always had that one-two punch with Malkin and Malkin's had some injury issues, but now they have that one-two-three. And that goal last night, you know, people keep saying it's vintage Jeff Carter. No, no, Jeff Carter still is that player. And, you know, Ron had such a familiarity with him. You know, somebody brought up last night about the 2012 Cup in L.A. because they traded for him from Columbus. It's not just from L.A. He was a flyer. Let's not forget. Like, there, there has been this long connection here, and they knew exactly what they were getting in Jeff Carter. And I think that pickup and the turnaround for Pittsburgh that we saw, you know, I think he's a key, key part of that. And, and there's a lot about Jeff Carter in that lineup that is going to spur the Pittsburgh Penguins on for success. No, he's been absolutely terrific. You're right. A couple of goals last night, 36 years old. I saw the move, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, how much L.A. Kings hockey was I watching this year? Uh, they weren't that great a team, and it's been a while since they were really a championship-caliber team. So I saw, I oh, listen, you know, good player, looked at the stats, 36. I think he could help. I, I don't think anybody dreamed that he would help this much. And what is it, in the 18 uh, games that he has played, he's got, what, 12 goals? He's just been really terrific so uh ronnie found he's something a closer perfect. right like there's just certain yeah there's just certain players that you know they're closers and you bring them in at this time of year for a reason and they get it done and uh, i think carter's been a major asset to the pittsburgh penguins team all right the pure entertainment's come from florida tampa and uh, and i wasn't rooting yeah. for anybody but I, I needed the panthers to win last night because i didn't want this i don't want the series to end and i certainly didn't want you know tampa to be up three games to none and have you know, just going through the motions. Now we've got ourselves a series. Tampa didn't lose a game when leading after two all year long, and they blow a two-goal lead in the third period. Uh, Was it like first time a, a team has ever scored five goals in a period and lost? I mean, it's it's just incredible what's happening there in Florida. And you talk about the goaltending mess. That that's what they have with the Panthers, but they they don't have they they've got a wealth of talent there to score goals to kind of compensate for it. So they got to straighten out their goaltending. But right now, the entertainment's been unbelievable. It has been, but, you know, when we talk about scoring, it's so interesting because when I started watching the game, like, when you look at the sheet, it, you know, Bennett, Radko Gudis, you know, like, know. <laughs> so, you know, some of the guys who are chipping in are not these household names, and especially Ryan Lumberg. And, you know, I said this in game one, you know, Tampa needs an answer for Ryan Lumberg because, one, he's a pest, and he does it very, very well. He does it well because he draws people in after the whistle to throw players and the supporting cast of Tampa off their game, but he does it without drawing penalties himself, which is such a skill and such an asset in the playoffs. But then last night, that play that they drew up right off from the face-off, going end-to-end, Lumberg finishing it, and this is a guy who has played 
you know, bounced around from teams, has like, what, three or four games of NHL playoff experience. And that was his first career point in playoffs. And, you know, I look at Florida and I just feel like they just have something magical going on down there. I Listen, I'm never counting out Tampa because Tampa just has so much skill. And then they also have the fact that they understand what it means to win a Stanley Cup and they're coming in. But this, this series, and granted, a lot of it has to do for me is I just love seeing fans and fans and they have so many in Florida. But this has been a wonderful series, this showdown for the Sunshine State. And we've been wanting this for so many years. And I don't know about you, Don. I understand that we're going to have to go back to the normalcy of the way the, you know, the divisions are structured after. But I'm, I'm all for, I hope the NHL takes away that we want to see more divisional play in the regular season. I don't care if every team plays each other in the regular season. I personally don't. I want to see more division play because this is how it pays off. It pays off in the playoffs when these guys have played each other nine, ten times in a season and they hate each other from day one. And we're seeing it all throughout, but we're really seeing it in this series. And it's just so much fun to your point. Would you even consider Spencer Knight if you're Joel Quinville? Um, you know, I think that's a hard one, right? I mean, I think it's a tough test, but, you know, I'm not as – and maybe I'm really wrong on this. I'm not as worried about their goaltending because I think that they have enough in front of them to get it done as long as their goaltenders can make some timely saves. Um, but, you know, I could be way off there. But I don't, I don't think I would go there. I don't think you can at this time of the year, but yeah. that's just my opinion. Now, Vegas... That's a, tough uh, one. that's a tough one for a kid. Yeah, no, it is. There's no question, especially when there's so much on the line here because I think if this Panther team found a way to get out of this round... They are going up against the defending Stanley Cup champions, right? They did played without Stamkos and mm-hmm. Kucherov for most of the year. Uh, that's a team that certainly can compete for a cup, although Carolina's sitting there saying, well, wait a minute. Just think about how good the top of that division was. Carolina, Florida, yeah. Tampa. It's just, you know, and then, then the drop-off to Nashville, you know, poor Nashville, or it, it could have been Chicago, could have been Dallas. Whoever it was was probably going to get flattened by Carolina anyway. But to see how good those three teams are, that you know, one of them is not going to make it out of the first round. It's a shame. Yeah, it is, but that's the way it goes, right? I, I always yeah. say to people, I sometimes feel like the first series, the first round, is sometimes what we wish was the Stanley Cup final. And so many, we've seen it so many years. Um, the first round, to me, it's always one of the best, and uh, it's been so much fun, especially with this this meeting between Tampa and Florida. So we were literally heavy on the games last night, which I wanted to do, but just get a, a quick thought because I want to get to some tweets as well, and I don't want to keep you for too long because I know you're a very, very busy woman. But I was really concerned about the Golden Knights after the first period last night. I mean, all right, they, they won game two, but again, they're not scoring. They only scored eight goals against Dallas last year in the playoffs. And yeah. no Max Pacioretty. And then the floodgates opened up here. And, and I'm just wondering... We talk so much about their lack of offense, but you know, you're not beating Flurry if you're getting like 14 shots on goal, right? So compliment Vegas and their style. I think this team can win the Stanley Cup. I was scared because of the lack of offense, but do you feel a little bit better about them now that they got the five goals, they come back from 2 nothing down, and now despite some of their injuries, they're still up 2-1 against the pesky Minnesota team? I do. I'm in complete agreement with you here. You know, I think, you know, you have Mark Stone, you got a chance up front. I, I can't say enough about this player. I've been watching him since his junior days with the Brandon Wheat Kings in the Western Hockey League up here in Canada. He's just that complete all-around player and such a leader on this team. He had two goals last night. Yes, one of them was in the empty net, but it's still, it's still a goal. Uh, but 
I think they have found their stride. I do think, Don, to your point about not being able to score last year, and I think, you know, when we saw what went on in game one, it was like, okay, like, has this crept in again? But I feel that Vegas is built for the playoffs. I think that they are one of the, if not the best team all around in the league. And to your point about Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, I look at this guy and I just think about the expansion draft and when Pittsburgh made him available and, you know, just that whole thing and how he's been able to overcome that. And there's been a little bit of, you know, between is it Robin Leonard? Is it him? Is he the starter? Is Robin Leonard the starter? Um, which was really made up in the media to trump that up, that storyline. But still, I think Marc-Andre Fleury, he's one of those players again. I don't know if he gets enough credit for how good he is. Like, I mean, we're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer, yeah. you know, and you, you know, I still, I'm always saying this. I just don't know if people understand, you know, if you have him in net, you don't have to score that many goals, especially if you're only getting 14 shots against him. To your point, like, you know, Minnesota's got to find a way to do better than that. But after game one, I was speaking to a friend who's a Minnesota fan and, and I said, well, you got your game. I don't think you're going to get another one. And I stand by that. I think Vegas is going to clear the table and yeah. that's it. I think Minnesota's got one win in them and they're going to go now. How tough was that loss the other night for the Oilers? They were a disappointment in the bubble last year, right? And now they get shut down. No Ehlers, you know, no Dubois, no problem for the Jets, who really struggled down the stretch because of the injuries that they had. It, did they let Winnipeg yeah, off the hook there? Was that a game they should have got? First of all, it was one of the most boring hockey games I've ever watched in my I know. life. And, I was uh, so excited for it, too. <laughs> Oh, my God. It was so boring. But, you know, you look at this even the first period and, you know, there was 50 hits between the two teams, 31 for the deaths alone. Like that's that's you can't continue to do that. But that's exactly the tone that Winnipeg wanted to come out with. Right. The Jets wanted to come out and get to them early. And the biggest thing there for the Jets is that this series, you know, so many people in Winnipeg are concentrating on who's going to score for the Jets. Because as we know, your top line gets muted in the playoffs. So, you know, and that's really the Shifley Wheeler and Connor line were like really the only one that was producing offense for the Jets who had a really limp into the playoffs. And I mean limp. They had a seven-game losing skid and then, you know, won a couple before, but really didn't look great. And nor did Hellebuck. But I think what the positive thing is, is that this series is about who doesn't score for Edmonton? They managed to keep McDavid and Dreisaitl off the score sheet. So that's a huge victory for the Jets. And second of all, Connor Hellebuck looked really good. He looked like the Vesna Trophy winner that he is. But I don't know if the physicality of this series is sustainable for the Jets because you have to remember when you're hitting that much, that means you don't possess the puck. And eventually, that's going to get old against Edmonton because we saw some flashes of McDavid. You give him a millimeter, he's going to take a mile. And, oh, sorry, you guys don't do – sorry, I'm, I'm speaking in <laughs> metric and you guys don't do that down in the States. But So if you, you know, take an inch, then he's going to take a, you know, a, a mile. But, um, so I just think, you know, I think Edmonton's going to come back. I think Edmonton is, you know, going to be able to penetrate the Jets. And I do still feel that Edmonton's going to win this series. And uh, before we get to the tweets, just how do you think this Boston-Washington series is going to go? Three games in overtime. Game wow. three went to double overtime. How do you, who do you think is going to come out of this? You know, I never – you know, it's so hard with this one because, you know, I spent some time in Boston and, you know, you look at that team and how it's built and they're built for this. But so are the Cavs. There's so much skill on both sides. You know – I really, this is one of those series that I've really enjoyed watching. It's so close. I really don't know who's going to win. 
I really don't. I have no idea. But I just feel like in my gut, it's Washington. Mm. I don't know why that is either, Don. I have no reason for it. It's just a gut thing. So that's just how I feel. Yeah, and it could be the bees in a heartbeat, too. So I'm just yeah. wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, listen, I was the same way. I think that uh, this was one of the series that I thought was going to go seven, so um, I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I mean, Laviolette's always had that immediate success with franchises. They seem to go on runs when he gets there, so that kind of makes sense, but then kind of Boston's been there and done that, and it's hard to bet against that top line. It might be one of the best lines in the NHL, so it's... Uh, and then let's not forget, too, do they do they have a chance against Tampa last year if Rask doesn't opt out? You know, so... Yeah, that's... Good point. Yeah, so so that so there's a there's 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 a lot there for sure. You got you got time for some tweets? I sure do, sir. Okay, let's start with Chris. He says the playoffs feel much more wide open than we've seen in recent years. Do you agree? And who's the dark horse that could make a deep run if they get hot? I think half of the reason that they feel so wide open is because we haven't been playing divisional games all season long. And because you haven't been able to see certain teams go against certain teams, I think, um, you know, that's why it just feels like it's a little bit more anybody's game. And I personally love that. So I'm not quite sure who sent the tweet, but I would agree with them. It does feel it does feel a little bit more wide open, but I do still think that you have your juggernauts. You know, we were just talking about Vegas. You know, they're a team that, you know, I could see going, you know, the distance. You look at Colorado, they're so strong as well. And then I also think that, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins could really make some noise too in this playoffs. But, um, you know, I, I'm not, as a dark horse, you know, I think we go back to, you know, if I'm really going to say it, I think we go back to Florida. I mean, and I know people might say, well, how can they be a dark horse when they were so strong all season? But it's because they're playing Tampa in the first round. You know, if they can get that, like to me, playing against Tampa right there makes you an underdog, even if you were the better team throughout the season, because Tampa had players that weren't there and, you know, they're the defending cup champ. So I just feel like Florida, because of the proximity of where it is, it's in the Sunshine State, people still don't think of Florida as a hockey you know, town, right? And they haven't had tons of playoff success. And, you know, so if they make some noise and they roll, I really feel like they, to me, even though they were so strong all season, I still don't think people give them the credit. And I believe that they're the dark horse that could go all the way and they could win the East. Mr. Moustache says, thoughts on Kane's Pred series and is there a better matchup for the Canes in the next round, Florida or Tampa? Um, well, I think we're seeing exactly what we thought we were going to see. I mean, even though Nashville came around in the season, you know, they looked at the deadline like they were definitely going to be sellers, and then they went on a bit of a tear, and they didn't end up being that, and they managed to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, Carolina, I think this is exactly what we expected them to happen, was to have a dominant series over Nashville. Nashville just doesn't have the horses that Carolina does. Um, the better opponent for them... You know, honestly, I don't I don't really know that because, you know, I haven't seen them enough this year. And this is where I'm a little blind. And, and Don, you might have a better understanding of it. I don't know if there's a better opponent. I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. But I think Tampa and Florida are both just such strong teams that, you know, no matter who they face, uh, it's just going to be a battle. Because I, I really have a lot of respect for Carolina and the job that Rob Brindamore has done there and, and how much talent they have on that team. This is something that I brought up earlier, uh, Lee, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, when judging whether you want Florida or Tampa. How hard is it going to be for Tampa as we get deeper into the postseason? 
that they won their cup so recently. I mean, usually it's a calendar year between cup to cup, right, or playoff to playoff. But because they they were in the bubble, the championship was won, you know, almost in October, and now you have to rejigger it up again. Now Kucherov didn't have to worry about it. Stamkos has been hurt, but does is that going to be difficult? You know, for a team like Tampa to be able to make a run because they're not that far removed from making the previous run. I completely understand what you're saying because you also wonder too if if there's going to be a fatigue factor at some point because they've played so much hockey, as you mentioned, in the last, you know, not even a full calendar year and look at how much hockey they've played. But at the same time, can you flip that around on and look at it that they're so present to like close to when they won? that they still have that drive. They still remember that feeling so well. They still remember every little thing that it takes and that they maybe more are so primed mentally more than anything to get this done. And finally, Yankees Penguins says, which series do you think are most likely to go the distance? Well, we just talked about Boston and Washington. I definitely think, you know, especially with the overtime, that that one can definitely go. I think Florida and Tampa could be one, too, that goes the distance. Uh, You know, Pitt, the aisle, like everything's so close. But um, I would definitely say Washington, Boston, for sure. I think we can all agree that. I think the North series are all going to be done in five or six. That's just how I feel. I don't think any of them are going to go the distance. And I think, you know, same thing what we're seeing here from Colorado and Carolina, that those will be over, uh, you know, and, and perhaps Vegas. I have a strong feeling with that one, too. But I think those three, like a lot here coming out of the East, um, Florida, Tampa, Pittsburgh, New York, and Washington and Boston all have the ability to give us those sensational game sevens that we love so much. All right, well, listen, this was way too long. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to do it on more of a consistent basis. I definitely want to talk to you again before the playoffs are over. And once things become official, official, I want to talk to you even more about that. Well, that sounds great. It was such a pleasure to hear your voice again, Don. And, you know, I've just been loving the fact that I'm, you know, having the ability. I've, I've spent so much attention on the North Division this year just because of where I'm geographically located up here in Canada. But it's been such a thrill for me in the playoffs to get reacquainted with all of these incredible teams. And there's yeah. going to be, I think, a lot of great hockey to talk about going down the stretch here. All right. Stay in touch. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Don. Take care. All right, that's Leah Hextall, and she's got a lot going on. I wanted to talk to her about it, but things are not quite yet official, and everybody knows what I'm talking about. So once it does become official, we'll talk to her more about that because it is a tremendous story. Four series continue tonight, 6.30 Capitals and the Bruins from Boston. The only thing I can kind of expect is overtime in, in this game because that's what we've seen, and it's really a coin flip because both teams are exceptionally well coached, tons of talent on both sides, so... Uh, obviously, this will be a huge game for um, Boston to get because they'd be up three games to one, but wouldn't be surprised if Washington eat that series up. Nashville's got all kinds of problems on the power play. They're just not as good as Carolina. Carolina's already up two games to none. Give Nashville a bit of a break. They're coming back home, so maybe they'll get a chance to get back in the series there. I've got higher hopes for Jets and Oilers than Leah did, saying it's only going to go maybe five games because I hope Edmonton can kind of bounce back. But if you see a similar performance, then you got to wonder – all right, built for the regular season. Are they built for the postseason? And certainly if Huddlebuck's going to play that way, he's vastly superior to Smith and Costigan there between the pipes for Edmonton and the 930 Avalanche and the Blues. Kind of same thing as Nashville going on in St. Louis. Maybe things change with the change in venue, but the Avalanche are just a much, 
much better team. So thanks to Leah Hextall having her on. We will talk to you again on Monday. We'll have EJ Raddick get closer and closer to the end of the first round. Want to get in touch with me? Best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We'll talk to you again on Monday. This was the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.